Ozio Daishu. I'm Jay Winter Nightwolf, the the host and originator of the American Indian Indigenous Peoples Truths, Justice for All, the most dangerous show on radio and podcast anywhere. We'll be right back. Don't go away. From the East, House of Light, may wisdom dawn in us, so we may see all things in clarity. From the North, House of Night, may wisdom ripen in us, so we may know all from within. From the West, House of Transformation, may wisdom be transformed into right action, so we may do what must be done. From the South, House of Eternal Sun, May right action reap the harvest so we may enjoy the fruits of planetary beings. From above, house of heaven, where star people and ancestors gather, may their blessings come to us now. From below, house of earth, may the heartbeat of her crystal care bless us with the harmonies to end all war. From the center, galactical source, which is everywhere at once, May everything be known as the light of mutual law. O Hamya, all hail the harmony of mind and nature. Welcome back to the most dangerous show on radio and podcast anywhere, the American Indian Indigenous People's Truths, Justice for All. I am honored to have a very good friend and brother with me and also a very good new friend and sister with us today. Her name is Mary Murdoch Meyer. She's the chief executive of the Tipanogos Nation of Utah. Snake Shoshone, Utah Territory. Welcome to the broadcast, Mary. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. Finally get a chance to talk to you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do? I'm the executive of the tribe, and right now our main goal is federal recognition for our people. We're indigenous to Utah, over 20,000 years. But within a few short years of the 
pioneers coming in, we were decimated. In 1861, Abraham Lincoln set up the Uena Valley Reservation, stretches from the Wasatch Mountains to the Colorado border. In uh, 1864, Congress designated that this reservation belonged to the Indians of Utah. And in 1865, there were treaty negotiations held, the Treaty of Senate Fort. And that was never ratified because of the Mormon incidents going on with the United States government. Congress opted not to... um, Feed any of the Utah Territory over. We've been working with the Interior Department since 1999. We sent three packets back, and they are um, have notified us every time that we needed to reformat it. The information's there. We've met with them several times in D.C. The information's all intact. But it's just not in the proper format that they want to see. So we're in the process of reformatting and getting ready to send that back again. Well, Mary, it sounds like every time you send information to them, what they require, then they just change the rules. It exists that way. The last packet we sent back, we thought, covered everything. But that was when they... um, Revamp the whole recognition process, so that's why we have to redo it again. When we met with them, they said our history's intact. They can see that. We have what's known as prior recognition because we have uh, an executive order, a congressional act, and a treaty, but they just keep wanting more and more. Yeah, I've seen that over and over again. And... uh I'm going to do everything I can to help you and your tribe through that process. I know some people, and I'll definitely be out here fighting for you and with you. Let me go over to the young guy sitting beside you. His name is Philip B. Gottfriedson, and he was born in Springfield, Utah in 1945. He's a retired conservator of fine art from 1972 to 1993. At the present time, from 1989, he's a researcher, historian, ethnologist of the Native American or Northern American Indian peoples. So welcome to the show, bro. Thank you, Jay, very much. It's an honor to be on your show again. And uh, I I really appreciate uh, you uh, offering to help out uh, Mary and the Timpanogos tribe. And um, I'm happy to see the two of you get acquainted with one another. So let's get to talking about one of your famous leaders, um, Black Hawk, Chief Black Hawk, in the Black Hawk War. Mary, what can you tell us about that? Well, he had a pretty rough life. Started out for him when he was very young, and his family was attacked. His culture was uh, disrupted because of the influx of the Mormon pioneers, and he tried their way of life, but that didn't work for him. He went back to the culture, and 
he had to stand up for the people, and that's why he fought so hard. His death was pretty atrocious, you know, it, being shot and reservation times. He was, there are several stories there of whether he stayed or left, but he'd been shot, so he mm -hmm. died shortly after that. So, Phil, oh. your grandfather was a friend of uh, Black Hawk. Yes, that's correct. That would be uh, uh, back in the, began back in the 1860, 1861. My, my father told me that uh, my father lived with um, uh, my great-grandfather for a number of years, and uh, he told me that uh, Peter, my great-grandfather, was invited uh, to the camps of Black Hawk on numerous occasions. So Peter and Black Hawk were at about the same age in their 20s at that time. Wow. So why would he invite this young white guy or befriend this white guy during a time of war or post-war? Well, it, it, it begins when uh, Peter is... Uh, employed as a, a shepherd. You know, he's, he's herding cattle. Uh, he's taking care of uh, herds of sheep, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And um, so he's out in the uh, uh, surrounding areas of the township, out by himself and all of some areas. And uh, this is during the time of the height when the war was at its peak. Mm -hmm. And um, occasionally, uh, some native person uh, injured from the war or just coming back from battle would stumble upon Peter in his camp. And uh, Peter was kind to him, and he would feed them mm -hmm. and uh, give them a place to sleep and uh, would hear their stories. And that's how the friendship developed. That's how it began, yes. Your grandfather, that was self-taught to write and to record things, am I right? Yes, he wrote a book uh, uh, towards the end of his life. It came out in the year 1919. It's called Indian Depredations in Utah. And it's a uh, first-hand account of the Black Hawk War. And today, it's uh, it's very highly regarded among historians in Utah as being one of the uh, more accurate accounts, and uh, has withstood the test of time. And uh, that was the book that inspired me to get involved uh, to also also research the Black Hawk War. So for the past twenty years, that's what I've been doing and, and uh, uh, living with the Native people. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was serendipitous that I came across the, the Timpanogos tribe. So so Peter was living with the Timpanogos back in the 1800s. I ended up living with the Timpanogos <laughs> <laughs> for the past uh, five and a half years. <laughs> that says a lot about... Um your family, about your grandpa or great-grandpa? 
and I think the apple did not fall too far from the tree, Bill. What I'm also thinking is that um, you, too, have written a book. And from what I could tell is that it is like a companion book to your great-grandfather's book, right? Yes, I, I um, felt inclined to pick up uh, where, where he leaves off and to, uh, to bring the history forward, what happened after the war. And um, like Peter, that took him 20 years to write his book, it also took... <laughs> took me 20 years to write mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's the title of your book? And where can people look at it? Where can you get it? It's uh, called My Journey to Understand Black Hawk's Mission of Peace. And it's published by Archway Publishing Company, which is uh, from uh, Simon & Schuster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's available online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble in any of your bookstores, and also through my website. We're going to take a short break and come back and talk some more to my guests, so don't go away.
Welcome back to the most dangerous show on radio and podcast anywhere. I'm Jay Winter Nightwolf. My guests are, of course, Mary Murdoch Meyer, who is the chief executive of the uh, Timpanogos Nation of Utah, Snake Shoshone. Yeah. Mary, you know, I was just thinking about something. Um, part of my lineage is Shoshone, too. My uh, grand- uh-huh. yeah, my grandfather, my my father's father was um, Shoshone and Cherokee from out there and somewhere in southern Utah. You know, because I used to ask him about it. Why you want to know that? I said because I want to know who you are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a big old tall guy, about six foot five. My lineage comes from I'm a great great granddaughter of Chief. Elping, which would be Black Hawk's uncle. Okay. And um, all that's on my father's side and my mother's side. I'm the great great granddaughter of Chief Wakara. Wow. So you're um, you're royalty. The leadership has been passed down. Mm-hmm. In the 1700s, Turianchi was the chief of our nation. Mm-hmm. And Wakara and Arrow King and Sam Pitch, which is um, Black Hawk's father, were all his grandsons. Very personal to me in that aspect because it's, well, it's my family that was decimated. It's my family that mm-hmm. struggled. My family is still struggling. And so, yeah, it's important to us to get the recognition through. Mostly because our rights are being denied, our religious freedoms are being stepped on. It's just been a trying, trying, trying to live under these conditions. Mm-hmm. It's as if history had stopped back in the 1800s, and and they have not done anything to advance your people, correct? That is correct. So let me ask Philip something. Phil... This whole Black Hawk War, it appears yeah. that, that it was the uh, the natives out there against the Mormons. I would say it's the other way about. Okay. Uh, Mormons, um, the Mormon leadership in um, uh, 1849, uh, they come together and they unanimously agree to exterminate the Timpanogos nation. Hmm. And these are the same uh, people, the same people that are preaching uh, Jesus and, uh, and, 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 and forgiveness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very hypocritical. Absolutely, yes. So, these are the same people who had just been run out of um, Nauvoo, Illinois, and uh, their houses were burned, their temple was burned, and there was a lot of killing and a lot of hardship. And then they come here to Utah, and uh, what happened to them? They turn right around and do the same thing to the Timpanogos people. The victims became the victimizers. And that seems, yeah. that seems to be a, a pattern to that throughout all of uh, the history of the United States formation. Tribe after tribe after tribe. Yeah, yeah that's correct. 
So in your, your research, you mentioned that there was a friend and an ally who was Peter Gopherson to the Native peoples, while Mormon pioneers seized the land as resources of the Timpanogos tribe, encompassing some 260,000 square miles. And when, yeah. when Mormons arrived in what is now known as Utah in 1847, the Tippinopa's population is estimated as being between 40 to 70,000 people. And in, less, and in less than 21 years, some 1,500 Tempanogo Indians were left alive. Out of 70,000? Out of 70,000? Yes. So that was mass extermination. It was genocide. Yes. Let's, let's call it what it is. So, Mary, when you stop in... Yeah? And look at the figures, and you think about things like this. Um, put yourself in the place of some of your ancestors. What do you think they were thinking at the time that they were being, uh, the genocide was being practiced on them? What do you think they were thinking? I'm sure they were confused. Uh, when, uh, in 1847, when they first got here, the Mormons, they said they were passing through. So Wakara gave them safe haven, basically. He told them that he wouldn't kill them and they could stay. They were starving and having a hard time, and our people helped them survive that first year. And as soon as they knew how to survive here, they started annihilating us. And they did it in such a way that out of one side of their mouth, they were saying, oh, we love the Indians, we want to help them, let's, you know, we're doing all these things. And on the other side, they were um, giving us flour with broken glass in it and um, shooting our people and, and just massacring left and right. So imagine there was a lot of confusion and frustration. And then... I'm sure they had to become angry at some point. I know I would. I I feel that because here you are in your home. You allow somebody to spend the night, and then they decide they're just going to kick you out of your house and kill your children. They took a lot of our children and put them in Mormon homes and raised them up, you know, the old antage, um Kill the Indian, save the child. They, they, they cut their hair and took them out of their regalia or their regular clothes and dressed them up like little white people in hopes, yeah. in hopes to turn them into little white people. But that didn't work. Yeah. No, you can't uh, take that out. I have a great-grandmother that um, was raised by a family of Mormons. She... Um, their story is they loved her as they're very, 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 and they always put 15 varies in there. Their mm -hmm. very own. But her daughter, which is my great-grandmother, would not allow the Mormons in her house because of the way her mother was treated. So I know they were not treated well. Aeropine's daughter, Ernetta, she died at 40 years old. And, uh, uh, one account I found that um, Daughters of the Pioneers, which is uh, Mormon women, 
had put together said that all of um, Joseph Stacy's other wives, because he's the one that took her and raised her, and then he married her as soon as she was childbearing age. And all the other wives said, oh, she loved to do all of our laundry and all of our cooking and all of our child raising. But she was their slave. Hmm. And she died at 40. She hmm. was not very old. She was just a baby, according to how people live as far as age is concerned now. Yeah, he, he took her from the Battle of Fort Utah when she was probably four or five years old. They raised her there in their home, and it's just, when, you know, the old histories, even reading the stuff that Phil has found, is just, it wrenches my gut. You know, what else can I do? And then to look at how we're living today and the things we face, uh, hunting, which is promised in the treaty, it's a, this is congressionally our land, and even for hunting, you know, we get arrested, shackled and chained and all these things for speaking out. When I first decided to speak out, I was surrounded by police officers in the mountains. Mm. I've been written down as armed and dangerous when I'm not. Just an everyday thing. We had a reporter come and she spent the night here with us and the next day she quit her job and moved to New York because she was so traumatized from the story she was hearing. There was a probably 30 people here visiting with her. And we were laughing and talking and telling stories about growing up. And they weren't even the bad ones. But she was so traumatized that she had to leave the area. She couldn't be here anymore. Yeah. You know, when, when you sit down and you talk to Indian people and listen to their stories there's a big cloud of sadness that come over not only the person that's telling the story, but the people that are listening. Some, yeah. are, some are so surprised. Really, that happened? Yes, it did happen. But still, you hear, yeah, I'm one of the people that survived. We're going to take a short break and come back, and, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about the Indian, the, the uh, Tempanagos Indian Massacre. So, don't go away. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the most dangerous show in podcasts and radio, the American Indian Indigenous People's Truths, Justice for All. I'm having a very heart-wrenching and um, important conversation with uh, some of my relatives. The chief executive, Mary Murdoch Meyer, of the Tampanogos Nation of Utah. And we've been talking about some of the tragic things that have happened to her tribe over the last couple hundred years, but now, even today, it continues. It was a war, a series of wars and massacres that the Mormons moving into Utah brought upon these people that had done nothing to anybody or hurt anybody. And I'm looking at... um, Something, Mary, it's, uh, it's about the Tempanogos Native Americans massacred by Mormons, children sold, married to stepdad at age 13, as a polygamous wife. In March of 1849, Brigham Young assigned 30 families, 150 people in total, to settle in the Tempanogos territory where the people live. A few months after Brigham Young sent the settlers, he said, the old Indians will not enter into the new and everlasting covenant or gain knowledge, but they will die and be damned. This is, this really brings back some memories of uh, what some of my ancestors told me before they went on the spirit world. Mary, these are some horrible stories. Won't you agree? Yes. I mean, just, 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 just reading about some of this stuff. And these were the ones um, that claimed to be Christians and forgiving and all of that. They were the biggest murderers and genocidal maniacs at that time out there. They would take, they would take your land, then kill your people, steal your children, put them in their boarding schools, and try to make little white people out of them. And yet they have the nerve to tell everybody, well, God forgives. Well, maybe God will forgive you. But the Shoshones are not going to forgive you for what you did to them. That's just my opinion, Mary. You can you can highlight on that if you want. Well, you can forgive, but you can't forget. True. I think the the people that did that you know, they're gone, but they bred that thought process into a lot of their children. And so the torment and, and anguish still continues. Hmm. So I try and forgive because our ancestors were that way, but I, I can never forget what they did. And in that, I wouldn't like I would like to not allow any more torment to continue. It needs to stop. Which is why we fight so hard for our recognition. Because if it's not stopped, then our children and our grandchildren suffer the same fate. We have children taken away through the social services departments, Still today, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, one little girl I know, she, I sat with her through all her court hearings. She did everything they asked, and the judge told her that. You have done everything I've asked of you, but I'm terminating your right. Now, this is a young 23-year-old girl with a little 2-year-old boy, and he's adopted out to a family that was known for abusing their own child, and their own child was taken away from them. Mm. And they have this little boy now, and the mother has no contact. To make it worse, they told her if she ever has another child, they will take that one too. Is she native? Because Yes. She's one of one of our people. Okay, but she is native. So this yes. this, this this practice continues. Yeah, it's never stopped. No, no. Bill? Okay. Yes. What are your thoughts on all of this? Well, I, I want to say this, that uh, the first uh, summer that I spent with Mary, she would tell me these stories, and her brothers would tell me the same stories, and members of the council would tell me these stories. And um, I, I just found it so difficult for me personally to believe that in this time, that this kind of thing could go on and go unnoticed. But as time went on and as I got more and more acquainted with the Tintinogos and the things that I saw firsthand that take place here, I finally arrived at the conclusion that everything Mary is saying is true. It becomes uh, very emotional for me <laughs> to even uh, write about these things and to talk about these things. Hmm. So if it's emotional for you and it hurts your heart, you can imagine what it is what it's doing to our Native brothers and sisters. Because I am not Native American, I, I can't fully grasp it. Uh, but, but, you, but you're human. But you're human. Oh, I mean, I, I have so much compassion. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you have this compassion because you're human and you recognize being a human being, first of all. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Nobody should go through this kind of uh, perpetual torment and uh, humiliation, uh, degradation that they go through all the time. I, quite frankly, I don't even know how they how they are able to survive, except it's because of their deep spiritual beliefs. And uh, mm. well, <laughs> which I've really come to to appreciate in them, these are good, honest people. Well, it seems as though in this society, if you are honest, you, you don't get a hit. I was just reading something that in the year of 1919, Black Hawk's grave was robbed by members of the Mormon Church. His mortal remains was first put on public display in the window of a hardware store 
and Spanish Fork for public amusement. Later, his corpse was taken to Temple Square in downtown Salt Lake City and again put on public display for some 60 years, 77 years after Black Hawk's grave was robbed. Black Hawk was again reburied in the year of 1996. It took the knack of Congress and the help of the National Forest archaeologist Sharman Thompson and the humanitarian efforts of a boy scout Shane Armstrong to find and rebury the remains of Black Hawk at Spring Lake. What do you all have to say about that? When I was 12 years old, my father took me over to Spanish Fork one day, and he drove right up to that old uh, hardware store there, and um, he told me about Black Hawk. He remembered, as a boy, Black Hawk's remains being on display in the window of the hardware store. When I was 12 years old, my father took me to Salt Lake, and uh, I personally saw the remains of Black Hawk in a glass showcase on public display there at Temple Square. And it, uh, that image has never left my mind. I'm 75 now, and I can, I can see that moment just like it was yesterday. This is nothing new that they do. Um, George W. Bush's grandfather, Prescott Bush, and some of his cronies when he was a student at Yale University, they went to Oklahoma. They opened Geronimo's grave and stole the skull and bones of Geronimo and brought them back to Yale University. And that's how they started the Skull and Bones organization. So this, this seems to be a habit of these people because, I mean, the dead is the dead. Leave the dead buried. You know, I did a sweat with um, the living descendants of uh, Geronimo, all, uh, I would say about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they introduced me to that story. The thing is this, when you're an outsider and you see, you, you're told these stories, and uh, you witness the tears, you you witness the anger, you re- witness the resentment. Uh, uh, you can't help but have compassion for these people and all they've gone through. It was, it was the, the trauma that it was that was created, the trauma that their ancestors felt and experienced is very much alive in them today. And that, that to me, it, it seems like, I don't know, for my people, I don't know how it is that we're able to say, well, that's just all in the past. We just need to forget about it. No. I, I just can't understand that mindset. And, and yet that's, that's what I hear all the time. But I'm trying to to change that. I'm that's what the reason I that compelled me to do all this work that I've done hmm. is to educate my people, to help uh, bridge 
build that bridge between our cultures. Well, instead of building walls. I praise you for that, that effort. But you know what, bro? We still got a long way to go as human beings. Yes, we really we do. do. Yeah. And um, it has not gotten any better with this fool that's in the White House and his all of his cohorts. It's it's just it makes you want to cut your throat to not be a part of this. So, Mary, do you have anything to say? I understand that feeling of wanting to cut your throat. A lot of our people have said, why didn't they just kill us all, leaving a few of us alive to torment is is torturous. My father said one time, they've done everything to us, but actually drain our blood. It's, it's just never ending. And yeah. One of them... Um one of our ancestors, uh, well, actually two, Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse said, the white man has no soul. And that's, it's not hard to believe that when you look at the history of what they've done to innocent people. You know, I remember when um, George W. Bush was the president, one of my friends, he was Lakota, and uh, I have a sweat lodge out here on my land. That was sent to me by Arvel Looking Horse and uh, Medicine Man Crow Dog. I had uh, <laughs> one of the Lakota brothers sweating, sitting in the sweat lodge with us, and in between rounds, we were just talking. And he says, you know what? I said, what? George Bush needs to come to sweat lodge. <laughs> I said, do you think that would help him? Yeah, you come in here, we, you know. The one that pours the water is going to burn all the evil out of them. I said, well, I don't know about that, you know. But, yeah, I think the white man has to come to to recognize his own faults. And as long as he does not recognize them, it's all about him. And a prime example of a white man being all about him is this idiot that sits in the president's office in the White House now. Yeah. You know. Uh, they call him Donald Trump, but I remember it was Benedict Arnold that went against the United States. So as far as I'm concerned, he's Benedict Donald. And on that, we're going to take a break and come back. Don't go away. For the 244 years since we declared our independence, one name has stood as the very definition of the word traitor to the U.S. military. Benedict Arnold sold out our troops during our fight for freedom. He tried to sell West Point to the enemy before defecting to the other side. Now, there's a new traitor sullying those hallowed army grounds, and no one has betrayed those in uniform like Donald Trump. He consorts with a foreign enemy that puts bounties on the heads of American troops. He takes the word of Putin. President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today. Over the best American military intelligence. To Donald Trump, Russian bounties on American troops is just another hoax. I think it's a hoax. Some hoax. This July 4th, Benedict Arnold can step aside because Benedict Donald is America's number one traitor.
That was a cut from, uh, that was a song by Rihanna, who's a member of the uh, Lumbee Nation, North Carolina. Keep my memory. And just in the conversation and, and just remembering what we just talked about, that's a hard song to listen to, but it's a song that you can identify with. Keep my memory. And that's what the people, the few people that were left out of the, uh, out of your nation, Mary, are crying out and yep. saying, keep, keep my memory, you know. We have good things for you to remember about us. Yes. Yes, it's, it's hard to be just shoved aside. Um, we've written to every Utah governor since Levitt, and what they do with our letters is just throw them away, I guess, because we've never gotten a response. The governor of Utah, he just, they have not responded to us once. They did, however, use, uh, use us to get grant money for the school district out here, but they they don't mention us or talk about us. So they just simply don't exist. So that song was powerful to me. Let's, um, if you agree, you and Phil, let's think about starting a campaign. I know as long as this fool is in the White House, they'll, nothing will be done. And I hate to sound like that, but you know it's the truth. You know this man don't give a—he don't give a damn about anybody but himself. He tried to take the the Mashpee Wampanoag land from them, take it out of trust, uh, just a few months ago, and I had them on the show, and we talked about that. And I told him what you need to do is lawyer up, and that's what they did, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and they handed Trump his butt. And refuse to allow that to happen. I mean, there's there's other tribes that that I've interviewed and talked to them about their problems, and you know, I'm not saying that that there's anything magical that I could do, but I will do what I can do. And I want to ask both of you. Um, I know Phil, the answer is yes. Before I ask you, can we talk about this again in a few weeks and continue this conversation? And let's think about getting other tribes that are already federally recognized to come into the conversation with us, not on this broadcast, but come into this conversation with uh, your tribe and see what they can do or what they will do to help you with your federal recognition. Because we are all Native people, we're all Indians, and if we don't start reaching across the, the boundary lines of uh, reservations, 
and help each other before you know it, the white man is going to have his way and all of us are going to be gone. I don't know everybody, but I know a lot of people. And I think if we can come together under one umbrella of saving us, saving us, maybe we need to use that. Let us save us and, and see what yeah. we, could, we could do. And, and not just Native tribes, but, you know, you got a lot of white people out here that got the right heart and the right spirit. You're sitting right next to one, my brother Philip. We can get those people that are just like spirit, uh, Philip, with the spirit that he has to come into this conversation as well. And there are a lot of good black people. Yes. And um, it's all about the four colors of humanity, the red, the black, the white, and the yellow. And that, that, is what yep. makes, that, that is what makes the human family, the diversification of color and thoughts and ways to do things. So I think we should, uh, we should get started on that. What do you think? I think that's a good idea. I think it's important. That's what we uh, hope and pray for every day. Well, Philip's in it. I'm in it. You're in it. Do you have any closing thoughts, uh, Phil? And then I'm, I'm going to get Mary's closing thoughts, and we're going to come back again in a few weeks and continue this. You know, I'm sure that uh, people will say, well, uh, I've never heard of this story before. You know, uh, especially people in Utah who have lived here all their lives and they're second, third, fourth generation people here. They say, I've never heard this story before. Where do you get your information? And uh, so what I'm about to point out is there has been a deliberate in, uh, effort uh, over the past, since the early 1900s uh, for uh, this part of their history to be written out. Mm -hmm. The Timpanogos have been written out of history. When, when I began, uh, uh, back in 1989, I, it was just a mere curiosity that I had about the Black Hawk War mm -hmm. because my father or my great-grandfather had lived with the Native people and I wanted to know why that was. But as I progressed and started reading all the books I could find, it became clear to me that those books were all written from the perspective of the Mormon. Mm -hmm. And uh, consequently, every account about Utah's indigenous people is biased and based on assumption. And it's replete with half-truths, ambiguities, latitudes, and omissions. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, this is uh, r racially prejudiced in my mind, and I I concluded then early on that um, I, in order for us to have a true understanding of history, uh, we must have a true understanding of history before uh, there can be change and before that there there can be. Uh, any kind of um, reconciliation. Right. That Absolutely. is the problem with the, UP, the people of Utah whose hearts are in the right place. They, they, since there's so many people who are sincerely interested and care about the Native people, but they don't even know where to begin 
it's going to take education to help them to to understand what they actually can do. Just for example, you know, to call their senators and ask why these treaties are not being honored. Just to ask why why is uh, true Native history not being uh, taught in our schools? Why is it not a part of our children's curriculum? Absolutely. Uh, those are just simple things that they could do to help bring about change. Thank you so much, Bill. Mary, your final thoughts before we um, close this down and and get prepared to uh, bring you guys back, you and and Phil back in a couple of weeks. Well, I just appreciate you putting this on your show there, and I, I'm thankful that you contacted us. It's been a struggle. It's a hard fight that we have. I would like my children to one day be able to say, I'm a Tintinagos Indian without saying it under their breath so they don't get some kind of repercussion. I would like them to grow up and they know who they are and they know their history. They know these things. Not just my children, but all of our people's children need to be able to be proud of who they are without having to say it in private so that they don't have trauma. Exactly. Exactly. And a fight with recognition, I think a lot of it is they can push us aside. We haven't... uh, have good legal counsel. We have a hard time with finding an attorney that's not going to sell us out. Our last attorney. I'm going to talk to some of my friends, okay? And uh, and after I have that conversation with them, I will have them call you or I will give you their numbers to call. These people don't sell anybody out. They do what they have to do. And I want to thank you so much for being a part of this broadcast podcast today, Mary. And one, one thing I want to say to Phil is that all the books that he read on the history of the Indians of, of Utah, especially the Tempanogos, they wrote those books to cover up the dirt that they've done. Instead of telling the truth, they wrote those books to cover up all of the dirt, all of the killing, and all of the stealing of the children, and everything else they did that was so bad to the Indians of Utah. So I want to thank you both from the bottom of my heart for participating in this discussion today and we're going to do this again. Again and again and again. My grandmother used to always tell us, you know, do it again, do it till you get it right. So thank you both of you from my heart and thank you so much and we'll talk again real soon. Thank you very much, Jay, and we appreciate your efforts very much. Thank you, and thank you to your audience for for listening to it. Thank you. Yeah. It's really not about the color of your skin or the color of your eyes. It's not about the formation of your skull. It's not about the clothes you wear. It's not about the deity that you pray to and call God. You really want to know what it's all about? As my grandfather used to always say, it ain't about none of that. What it's all about is how you treat my heart. 
So again, I'll say to you, Danada, Gawaii, Wado. We'll talk again real soon. white man wants to live in peace with the Indian, he can live in peace. There need be no trouble. Treat all men alike. Give them all the same law. Give them all an even chance to live and grow. You might as well expect the rivers to run backward, as that any man who was born a free man should be contented when penned up and denied liberty to go where he pleases. We only ask an even chance to live as other men live. We ask to be recognized as men. Let me be a free man, free to travel, free to stop, free to work, free to choose my own teachers free to follow the religion of my fathers, free to think and talk and act for myself. <laughs> 